So let me just get a sense. I've been getting a sense from each one of the services. Um, how many of you guys would say, man, I am set for Christmas right now? Raise your hands. Okay, this is the worst one of all. Just so you know. You guys are like, yeah, I don't know. Maybe we'll do presents this year. Uh, okay, all right. Well, well done. Well done. Okay. So we are in the fourth week of our Advent series, and uh, I want to just challenge you on two things real quick, okay? These are super important. If you do, we've already, we've already given away 4,000 uh, tickets to our services. And just so you know, if you're not a regular here, we've only had 2,600 people at a Christmas service ever, okay? So this is a big, giant jump for us, okay? Now, I want you to think about that for a second, because here's the thing. Jesus will give you grace in your life, but the front door ushers will not, Okay? <laughs> So don't show up on Sunday and be like, I didn't know. We'll be like, well, there's the door, you know? So make sure that you grab your tickets and your friends. Make sure you bring people who are far from God because it's gonna be an opportunity for us. I'm gonna give a salvation call that weekend. It's gonna be powerful. It's gonna be amazing and can't wait for it, ready for it. All right, so we're jumping into this uh, fourth week here and we're looking at um, a great scripture, um, a great passage of scriptures actually. So we're looking at two people right now and we're gonna spend most of our time on Simeon and then a woman named Anna who's a prophet. And Simeon and Anna have basically the privilege of serving as um, instruments inside God's temple, right? So we don't know, and the Bible doesn't say that Simeon's a priest, but he certainly seems to be performing the functions of a priest. And so Simeon was told by the Holy Spirit years and years and years ago, uh, before this text is taking place, that he would not die before the day that he saw the Messiah come. Now, this is incredible because for generation after generation after generation, people have been looking for the Messiah with a, with a heart that basically says, please send someone into the world to save us, to rescue us. I mean, that same impulse is in our world right now. Why do you think Spider-Man is so popular right now? We want somebody to fly into our life and to change something good in our world. The Marvel uh, movies, all of those things speak to a deep-seated, rooted feeling inside of us that we need to be rescued and we need to be saved and we need to be fixed. And so Jesus is coming at just the right time for those who are lost that need to be found. And Simeon's job is simply to wait, to be consistent and show up every single day in the details of life. And as his reward, as is our reward, at the end of a life of faithfulness, there is Jesus. And as we look at this passage today, I want to show you some things I think that are common misconceptions about how we grow spiritually. All right, let's take a look at it. Luke chapter 2, verse 25, here's where we start. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon, who was righteous and devout. Okay, so this is a Simeon. This is the guy that I just introduced you to. There are two words used to describe Simeon's life, righteous and devout. The word righteous means godly. It means to be right with God. And then the word devout is the quality of his righteousness. So for example, you might be a righteous person, you might be a follower of Jesus, but sometimes the quality of your followership is really good, and then sometimes it's just really bad. You're like, man, I just do like this in my life. Well, Simeon wasn't that kind of person. Simeon was dialed in, and he was ready to do what God wanted him to do at any moment. Now you think, well, that's the kind of you know, person that I aspire to be. This is the person I want. To, to grow into. This is the person that I need to be. But the way that we get there is what we're talking about today. Like, how do we actually become these people, right? So I'm going to give you just a principle up front, and we'll kind of unpack this principle and unfold it. Here we go, up, up front. Consistency 
right, which is nothing more than, than being devout. Consistency is showing up in the right direction over and over again. And guys, we know this to be true in every area of our life. We know it to be true in our relationships. We know it to be true in our jobs. We know it to be true in marriages. We know it to be true in friendships, whatever it is, whatever we're doing, it's showing up over and over and over again in the right direction. That's what we do. But, but oftentimes what happens is we mistake showing up and consistency in the right direction with the grand gesture. So what I hear people say a lot is they'll come to me and they'll go, hey, here's what I want to do. Like, I want to grow spiritually. And I'm like, that's great. Let's do that. There's some really practical ways because you can measure spiritual life just like you can measure your finances or, you know, other things or your health or things like that. You can measure your spiritual health, right? And so as we're kind of taking steps in life, and, we're, and that's, that's the mission of this church, to help people take their next step toward Christ. So we believe as a church that the spiritual life is never about stagnation. It's always about motion. You're doing something. You're becoming something. Why? Because we are not who we are. We are always who we are becoming. Okay, so we are, mo- we are people of movement. We're constantly taking next steps and next steps and next steps. But one of the challenges with that is that people on the road of hopefully taking next steps toward Christ, they say to themselves, man, you know what I want to do? I want to do something gigantic, and I'm going to do this. I'm going to stop doing this thing I've been doing, and I'm going to start doing this other thing. And they're really just like grand gestures. The grand gesture is something we all fall into. I'm going to do, God, I just, I know I did it again. I don't want to do it again. I'm going to do the best that I could possibly do. I'm never going to make a promise today. I will never do that thing that I always do over and over and over again. I'll never do it again. Or we've got that thing in our life that God's like, I want you to do this thing. You're like, I haven't done it. But Lord, here's what I'm going to do. Tomorrow, I'm going to do it. I'm going to start reading my Bible. And here's my promise to you. I'll read it all the way through six times a year. And you know you won't. You know you won't. And what happens is the grand gesture always leads to the grand disappointment. Always leads to the grand disappointment. I mean, why do you think you go to the gym in January? Everyone's like, fitness, yes, very important in my life. And then by March, they're like, donuts, really, really important in my life, right? Why? Because that's just how that works. The grand gesture always leads to the grand disappointment. And so let's not make grand gestures anymore. Grand gestures are not helpful. Uh, I learned this pretty, uh, pretty in a huge way, unfortunately, in 1986 when I was 16 years old. And uh, my, my, I'll never forget June 21st, uh, it seared into my brain, but it wasn't when I was 16. That was my mother's birthday. And my brother and I, my mom was a single mom. She was a single parent. And, uh, <laughs> and my brother and I, who was tw- he was 12, um, we forgot our birthday. And she waited all day. She was like a snake. She was waiting, just waiting. She waited all day till the night. And then she's like, you blew it. We're like, what? It was, your, it was my birthday today and you boys totally blew me off. She's like, you know how much stuff I do for you? And we're like, yes, ma'am. I mean, you're, I mean when you're in that situation, there's no talk back. There's, I mean, you're done. You're just like, yes, ma'am, we stink. Yeah, I mean, and so she did that and, she, and we were like, we're so sorry. She's like, I don't hear it. And she went to bed, right? Well, the next day, my brother and I are like, grand gesture time. And so we went to Altamont Mall, which is where all good things come from. And, uh, and, and we, we went into Mayor's Jewelry Store, and we spent $2,000 on a bracelet. I, what is $2,000 in today's money? Two trillion? I mean, it's so much money. That was so much money. We took all the money we had in our bank accounts. We bought her this big, giant gold hunk. It's probably tacky as hell. But, but it was this big, giant gold thing, you know? And I, I, I presented it to her with the grand gest. Mom, we're so sorry. We did the wrong thing. You know, kind of Mufasa-like. And, 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 and just kind of just gave it to her. She took it, opened it up, tore, you know, just tore the paper off held it up. She goes, 
and she chucked it, and she was so mad. She, didn't, she never wore it, ever. And here's, here's, here's the point. You, you know what? You can't do the grand gesture if you haven't done the ordinary work. Because the ordinary work is the everyday showing up and saying, I love you, I'm for you, and what can I do for you? You can't do the grand gesture. A grand gesture never makes up for not walking with someone. And the same thing's true in our relationship with God. The grand gesture is not what God's looking for. He's not interested in you stepping forward and saying, here's a big thing I'm going to do for you, God. But sometimes it happens. It happens, I, I, have, a, I have a friend, he's a young guy, that is, I just love this kid so much. He's 22 years old. He wants to do great things for God. And he says to me very plainly, and, and I know he doesn't mean bad things by this, but he says, he says, Pastor Mike, I want to do great things for God. And I'm like, it's fantastic. He's like, I don't want to do small, you don't understand, I don't want to do small things. I don't want to do ordinary things. I don't want to be a pastor. I'm like, I don't want to be a pastor. I want to be, I want to be someone who does big things for Jesus. And I love his heart for it. But, but the problem with that is that Jesus never goes looking for people who do big things. He takes ordinary people and does big things in them. Okay, that's what he does. That's what God is constantly in the process of doing. He takes ordinary people. And, here, and here's, so, so here's a verse that kind of gives us a picture of this. This comes from 1 Corinthians, right, one twenty-eight. It says this, God chose the people, right? So he's talking about people here, even though he calls them things. God chose people, the lowly people of this world and the despised people of this world and the things that are not to cancel the things that are. That's very confusing. What does it all mean? Here's what it means. First of all, God doesn't look through the world for people who are rock stars. He's not looking for just the most amazing people to do great things through. This is why when Jesus went looking for the 12 that would change the entire planet, he went looking for ordinary fishermen, regular, ordinary guys, just like us, who said, yes, I'm available to do what you want me to do. You see, the Bible says that God's eyes go to and fro throughout the earth, looking for people who are willing to be obedient, to walk with his ways. And so our job is simply to make ourselves available. So because he takes the lowly things of this world, the despised things of this world, in other words, things that you wouldn't say, this guy's going to be a senator one day. This guy's going to be a pastor one day. This guy's going to be a business leader one day. She's going to be a physician. She's going to be a lawyer. She's going to be a judge, whatever it is. It doesn't say any of that. In fact, it says, I'm going to take these people who are unexpectedly going to be turned into these people because at the end of all things, we don't look at ourselves and say, look how awesome I am because we will not boast. Look at what it says. He takes the things, the people that are not to nullify the things that are, that are prideful so that no one may boast before him so that we won't stand there and look at ourselves and go, look how great I am. When you finish the business and it's killing it and everyone else, you're way ahead of them. You don't look at yourself and go, look how strong I am. Look how great I am. I built this amazing business. No, 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 no. If God allowed you to build that great business, he was with you and orchestrating those circumstances with you. Nobody, if you're wise, nobody is a self-made man or woman. That's, that's a myth. You're helped by other people. You're constantly influenced by other people. And by the way, that great river that we talked about last week of God's will that runs through, two weeks ago that we talked about God's will that runs through your life, God is orchestrating that river flow. And so if you've done great things, praise God for it, but don't stand there and puff our chests out and say, we did this by ourselves. This is important, why? Because if we skip doing the small things in order to try to be a big person, here's what ends up happening. God will come, and so and, and here's what happened. In order to do the big things for the Lord, we have to do the small things. Up on the screen, in the small things, character is built. In the small things, character is built. Not in the big things, 
Not in the big things, in small things, character is built. So when God calls you to do small things and he says, hey, you've got to start down here before you can get up here, it's not that he's trying to punish you, it's that he's trying to make you solid. Because here's what happens to a lot of people, and we know this because we've seen it to pastors, we've seen it with uh, government people, we've seen it with business leaders, we've seen it with nonprofit leaders, they get exalted, and then what happens? They fall on their face. What, what's happening when they do that? What's going on behind the scenes? Here's what's happening. They skipped all of the ordinary things and went directly to extraordinary. And here's what happened. They did not build the character on the inside necessary when God said, hey, I'm about to put a big thing on your shoulder. You have to have big shoulders. You have to have a strong heart. And when God says, I'm going to put a big thing on top of you, and it's going to be filled with pressure. And God's blessings are not always simple. Sometimes they're filled with pressure. I'm going to put this big thing on you. And if you don't have the character on the inside, you get crushed by it. And we've seen it happen over and over and over again. But it's because God takes the small things that are foolish and silly, and no one would think this woman would do anything great because she's nothing. And then God says, that's exactly who I'm looking for because I'm going to take her, I'm gonna take him, and I'm going to lift them up over time as they do the ordinary things, helping people take their next step toward Christ. Every day, you and I, just taking steps towards Jesus, steps towards Jesus. And as we take steps towards him, he begins to do amazing things. The Bible literally says to us, humble yourself under the strong arm of God. And in due time, in the fullness of God's time, he will exalt you. But you need to understand this, that if, if, if you have done the ordinary work and then you have humbled yourself before God, when he exalts you, you will not exalt yourself. But when you are exalted by God, you will also be strengthened by God. A lot of people take the authority on themselves and then they get crushed. Look, take a look at this, verse 25 Now, there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon, and Simeon is showing up every single day waiting for Jesus to show up. Now, think about how ordinary his life was, right? Over and over and over again, the the Holy Spirit said, you will see the Messiah come. And every day he would show up at the temple and he wouldn't show up. And he'd show up at the temple and he wouldn't show up. He'd show up at the temple and he wouldn't show up. Day after day, year after year, decade after decade, Anna, this prophet that we're going to look at in just a little while, Anna lived with her husband for seven years. And if we assume, if we before he died, and then she became a widow. And then the Bible said that she was in the temple day and night, fasting and praying. She never left. So if we just assume that she got married at 20 years old, which is way late for that age, she was probably more like 14, then she served inside the temple for some 57 years. And she just, day after day, decade after decade, Jesus didn't show up. She wasn't bitter. She wasn't angry, probably because she was fasting and praying all the time. So here she is over and over and over again. She's just showing up and doing the ordinary thing, an ordinary thing. And then one day, Jesus shows up at the temple. We're going to get to that in just a second. But in the small things, character is built. And so what we see here is that in verse 25, now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on him. Let's take a look at this Holy Spirit for a second. Um, Listen. The more that you learn about the Holy Spirit, the more that you begin to understand about the Holy Spirit, you'll understand that the Holy Spirit is not about the grand gesture. He's not about doing giant miracles every five seconds in your life. You don't even see that in the Bible. You're like, I see lots of miracles in the Bible. But if you look at the span of time, and if you, you pull it out, there's not miracle after miracle after miracle taking place in the Bible. The Holy Spirit's job is very similar to what the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit have They have jobs. The father's job is to be the ruler of the world. He's the king over everything. The son, Jesus, he came to fix the broken creation that we screwed up. And then the Holy Spirit's job is parakaleo, he's the parakaleo, the paraklete. 
He is the paraclete. He's the one who comes alongside us and counsels us. He consoles us. And so what God is doing is, is he's saying, hey, Simeon and Anna, one day a child will be born and his parents will bring him to the temple and you have to wait 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 for the consolation, the one who will console all of Israel. And he will do that. He will do that um, through the Holy Spirit. Now I want you to see this because it's important for us to understand much of what's taking place in this story takes place over a long, decades and decades and decades of life, which where both Simeon and Anna show up and they do their respective responsibilities and nothing exciting happens. Just ordinary everyday life takes place. Guys, don't think about your spiritual life. When you think about taking your next step, whether you want a big step, don't think about, number one, taking a giant leap. It doesn't work that way. We always overestimate, always overestimate what we can do in a short amount of time and underestimate what we can do in a long time. If you just continue to walk and continue to walk in the ways of Jesus, you will become a totally different person. And that person becoming more and more like Jesus will become a more and more happy person. I cannot promise you, and no preacher should promise you that when you follow Jesus, everything's easy from that point on. That's a lie. That's a salesperson. But what I can promise you is that in the middle of all of the hardships of this broken world, Jesus being with you makes it all the difference in the world. It makes all the difference in the world. And that's a radical difference. Verse 26 says this, it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit, to Simeon, by the Holy Spirit, that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. So over and over again, he shows up and he is faithful and faithful and faithful. So take a look at this principle on the screen. We never arrive at extraordinary things in our life until we've done the work of the ordinary things in our life. Okay, let's do it again. We never arrive at extraordinary things in our life until we've done the work of the ordinary things in our life. So here they are just doing the ordinary work and then God rewards them. We'll see it in just one minute. But what they're doing is looking forward with anticipation. They didn't show up and go, oh, another day without the Messiah. That wasn't them. They showed up with anticipation in their hearts, waiting for the day that he would show up, waiting for the truest hope. Now, you, you need to understand this about yourself. And even if you're not a Christian in the room right now, you're trying to just figure out your relationship with God, at the end of all things, at the end of all things, when we see Jesus face to face, that is the deepest satisfaction we'll ever experience. He is the deepest hope, the truest, the most real thing that you can hold on to in this world. And you need to know that every good thing that happens to you right now, those are not just superfluous. They're not just excess things. Those things are foreshadowings of the greater joy that will be found in Jesus. So what are you looking forward to? They looked forward to the coming of Jesus. What are you looking forward to? What are we waiting for? I think some of us are waiting for the next vacation, honestly. I think vacations are awesome. They're great, but they don't ultimately satisfy. We finished the vacation. It was amazing. And we think to ourselves, one of two things, it wasn't what I thought, or we think, man, I can't wait to get back there. But there's always this longing inside of all of that. And it never goes away. How about the, per the perfect ending for whatever story that you're writing for yourself? How about the best romance? I have yet to see that. <laughs> Graduation. That's awesome. Now you have to work. <laughs> Kids. Enough said. Uh, <laughs> your first home. Your first home. How about just for things to get better? Maybe that's just where you're at. You're like, I don't have any goals. I just want things to get better right now. Your party to be in power. Maybe the right amount of money, just if I had a little bit more, a little bit more. Better circumstances, this last one's me sometimes, more options, 
There's more, more options, more to choose from. And none of these things are really even wrong, but the question isn't whether they're right or wrong. The question is how much of your heart is occupied with these things. And, and, and how much of your heart that's occupied with these things determines how much you love these things. And so I would flip it around and say, how much do you look for the day in which you see Jesus work in the life of a family member or a friend or a neighbor or a coworker? How much of that occupies your heart and your mind? I hope some, I hope a lot. I, I, I believe that the closer you become to Jesus, the more your mind is occupied with such things. Verse 27 shows us that, that, that Simeon was definitely being guided by the Holy Spirit. Verse 27 says, moved by the Holy Spirit, he went to the temple courts. Can you imagine this is the day that he didn't listen to the Holy Spirit? <laughs> and he's been waiting for Jesus to show up all of these years, and he's off shift, and Jesus comes and he misses it. Well, it doesn't happen. Somehow, he's somewhere else, but he, the Holy Spirit says, hey, go to the temple courts. And he goes to the temple courts. And when the parents, this is Joseph and Mary, brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required. So what is all of this? So here's, here's what this is about. In the Old Testament, God made a deal with Israel. He said this. He said, listen, Israel, you are my people and I'm your God. So what that means in our bargain here is that every firstborn son belongs to me, not to you, to your parents, right? Belongs to me. And so what he did basically was he said, you will sacrifice, you will redeem your child, you will have him back from me based on a sacrifice that you will give. And so 40 days after a child, a firstborn male was, was born, they would go to the temple and they would make sacrifice. Many people would make sacrifices of a lamb, a sheep of some sort. Um, Mary and Joseph couldn't do that because they were poor. And so the Bible says that they had a, an offering of two turtle doves, right? And, and so you see, even in the beginnings of Jesus, there was nothing extraordinary here. Mary and Joseph are not extraordinary people. They're just ordinary, everyday people, small people. They come from Nazareth. This is like being born in Bithlo. <laughs> like what comes good out of Bithlo? I mean, anyway, so, so, so it's just one of those, it's one of the, like Nazareth, there's, these guys are just like country peasant people. So they come and they give their sacrifice and it's beautiful, it's amazing. Um, they fulfilled the law on behalf of Jesus. Verse 28, Simeon sees them because the Holy Spirit said, hey, go, because there's something that's about to happen. And he sees Jesus for the very first time and he takes him in his arms I just want you, there's a moment like this with John the Baptist. And John the Baptist has never, at this point, what I'm about to describe to you, he's never met his cousin, and his cousin is Jesus. But one day, John the Baptist is out there baptizing people in the baptism of repentance. And he's in there, repent of your sins, you know, and he's putting people under the water in the River Jordan, right? And so he's popping people underwater. He looks up and he sees this guy walk over the hedge, over the hill. And he looks at him and immediately knows who he is. He goes, behold, the lamb. I always thought, like, what happened to the guy? He's like, behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Immediately he knew because the Holy Spirit said, that's him. In the same way, God the Father sent the Holy Spirit to, to him right now and says, hey, this is the time. This is the moment, Simeon. So Simeon looks at Jesus. He takes him in his arms and he praises God. Praise, worship, is the natural consequence of a believer. It's what we do. It's who we are. You know, people can come to the message, like if you're not a Christian here, you probably had a really weird experience at the first part of our message, right? And I know that, like, it's strange, because I had a woman come up to me one time, and, and I love this, because I grew up in this, I didn't grow up in the church, I didn't have a Christian background, so it was all foreign to me. The first time I heard somebody talking about, we're going to participate in the blood of Jesus, I'm like, 
that's a strange thing. So this lady comes up to me after church. She says, hey, I appreciated the, uh, the, the, the service today. She's like, this was awesome. I have never, because she'd never been to a worship service before. She says, I've never been to a karaoke church before. Because <laughs> we had the words on the screen. She's like, I, I just, I've never been to a karaoke. I was like, cool, 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 cool. Uh, it was really strange. Like, I was just like, I didn't know how to respond to that. But it's just because people, like we as Christians, sometimes we, we have an internal culture and we think that this is what's normal. You have to realize, like, worship is something distinctly Christian. So when somebody comes in, and maybe this was you coming in, and you started like looking at the words, you're going, I don't believe any of these words. I can't sing these words. But you can come to a sermon. Like you can come and listen to this. This stuff is helpful to you, regardless of whether you're a Christian or not, right? We never arrive at extraordinary things in our life until we've done the work of the ordinary things in life. That applies to everyone on the planet. That's not a Christian principle alone. That's something that applies. But here, what we see is Simeon takes Jesus in his arms, and he spontaneously erupts not into teaching, but into worship. And he says, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. He basically is saying this, God, you fulfilled your promise that you gave to me a long, long time ago. And now I can die in peace. Like I have seen the fulfillment of my life. And it's a beautiful picture of the fact that every single one of us will have that same experience. Whether you have yet to meet Jesus or you see Jesus face to face, you're like, there he is. The fulfillment of all the promises that I've ever longed for in my whole life. All the materialism that I long for in my life. All the stuff that I said, I just need to buy this and I'll feel better. That's all about safety and security. That's all that is. It's about status and self-worth. And all of that stuff is fixed once and for all when we meet Jesus in heaven. And until that day, what we do is we work. We just take next steps and next steps. And what happens is we're approaching, as we approach heaven, we become more like Jesus. I become less materialistic over time. I become less lustful over time. I become less angry. I'm not just talking about me. I'm talking about you. I become less angry over time. I become less fearful over time. I become less worried over time. Why? Because I'm taking all this stuff and I'm saying, no, 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 Jesus is the one that's ultimately gonna make me fulfilled. If I didn't personally believe that the next life was better than this life, I would be wasting my time. And so would you. Jesus is the ultimate satisfaction of the person who looks to him. And he says to him, look, you now can dismiss your servant in peace. Why? Verse 30, for my eyes have seen your salvation. Not just the consolation of Israel, not just a a little bit of a fixing, but I've seen your salvation in the person of Jesus. Listen, guys, we're doing all of this like Christmas offering stuff and we do all the stuff that we do at Grace all of the care ministries and all the outreach ministries and all the stuff that we do to help people grow. Listen, the reason why I'm so, I believe believe that we're gonna not just plant campuses or counseling centers at our campuses, but we're gonna plant counseling centers through Central Florida is not because we need more counselors, but we need more biblical counselors. We need more people who can speak Christian and also psychology at the same time. I've spent my whole life at the intersection of Christian and psychology. psychology and theology. And those two things right now are needed. Listen, psychology cannot save you. All it can do is make you feel a little bit better for a little while. But our job is to take people who are brokenhearted, people who are destroyed, people who are fallen apart, and help them heal by coming alongside them with some great principles and then pointing them to Jesus, who is the great healer. That's what we do. That's what the church is supposed to be about. Why? Because the status of the world is in decline. And I need you to understand why. It's not because there are bad people out there. They're not scary. That's why we talk about the strong protect the weak. 
If you're a Bible-based Christian, you follow Jesus with all your heart. You're not doing it perfect. Neither am I. But if you're doing it with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, that's what I call strong. And if you're strong, you've got to come alongside the weak. And this is what I mean by that. The weak are those who are walking with a life and pointed with a life that's pointed away from Jesus. And here's what's happened because I've lived it personally. Many of you have lived it personally. We know this from firsthand experience. The more I walk away from Jesus and point my life at other things, the more that my heart is drawn into things that cannot satisfy me. And ultimately that creates more suffering, more struggle, more hurt, and more pain. And as a result... I'm a less satisfied person. I'm a broken person. When these people come to realize that, when we get to the end of ourselves, you, me, them, when we fall apart, that's when the Christian comes alongside someone and goes, hey, I got a solution for that. I got some practical help. You can get in counseling here, but we're going to point you to Jesus because at the end of all things, as you approach Jesus, as you approach heaven and you become more like him, I'm not less happy. I'm more happy. And that's because he makes me happy. Not because all of a sudden I got all the stuff I wanted. Sovereign Lord, just as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles. Everybody listening to this would have been like, wait, what? We're Jews. This is all Jews right here. This is the Messiah, the Jewish Messiah a light for Gentiles? Are you kidding me? And this is what it is. God always takes the insider group and makes them pointed towards the outside group. And God himself is that way. Hey, I'll be the Jewish God, but you know what? I'm also gonna be the God of the whole world, all the Gentiles as well. I'm gonna open it up for them. And just as he was doing that in the first century, walking around with his disciples, he did it in 1986 for me when he reached out to me and said, I've got a new plan for you. Your life's gonna be totally different. I'm taking charge and you're taking the back seat. And he's done that for many of you in the room too. And we took a back seat to Jesus and he became the leader. And it changed everything because he's our salvation and he's the light. He now lets me see my life and the world in an accurate way, in a way that I didn't when I walked in darkness. And he's the glory of the people of Israel. And, and I, verse 33 is just kind of a, an oddity to me. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. I wonder why they marveled at this. I really do. Because in the last two weeks, they've had two visits from angels. <laughs> at that point, I'm like, I'm in. Whatever's going to come next. Tell me what's going to come next. I don't know. You can say whatever you want to say about my kid, but I got two angel visits. I'm good. Whatever you say is fine. I can't believe they marveled about it, but they did. Then Simeon blessed them. He's not a great blesser. He blessed them and said to his mother, Mary, this child is destined to cause the falling and the rising of many in Israel. What does that mean? Jesus would be a polarizing character. Many people who believed in the old system and didn't want to follow Jesus and couldn't walk by faith and trust him with their life, they fell because of him. And many people who were brokenhearted were were raised to a new life with him. But Jesus is a dividing character. He takes people and he puts them in different corners. Because as people become more and more acquainted with Jesus, he becomes a person who shows them their true heart. And he will be a sign that will be spoken against. Mary wondered about this in her heart. She's like, what does this mean? And verse 35 tells us, so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. So when Jesus encounter, you encounter Jesus, one of the things that is super attractive 
about Jesus and super repulsive about Jesus and it has everything to do with you is whether or not you really want your heart revealed. Because if you're ready for your heart to be revealed and he says, this is who you truly are and you're able to go, you know what, I am a, I'm a messed up guy and I'm ready to be led. And if that's where you can be, that's humility. On the other hand, if you're the person that says, I don't think that's true about me. I'm not gonna let you talk to me like that. That's pride. And, and here it says, after the hearts are revealed, it says, and Mary, by the way, a sword will pierce your own soul too. And I don't get this like moms do because I think a mom, only a mom understands this in a way that only a mom can. But there were only two people left at the cross with Jesus. He was by himself. All the disciples abandoned him. There was his best friend, John, and his mom, Mary. And when Simeon says these words to her, a sword will pierce your own soul too. I don't think we've done a lot of thinking about the fact that yes, Jesus died for our sins, but Mary suffered for our sins. That her son would have to go to the cross and she'd have to watch him beaten and bruised, crown of thorns placed on his head, Roman guards casting lots for his clothes and eventually a Roman spear that would pierce his heart she would understand what it would be like to be a mom who would watch her son struggle. And then there was Anna, another incredibly faithful woman of God. She was the daughter of Penuel of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then she was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple but worshiped night and day, fasting and praying. No wonder she was so faithful and consistent. She fasted and prayed and fasted and prayed and fasted and prayed. Day after day, this was her spiritual discipline. For some of you, that might be yours. For me, it's study. I like to study. I like books. I love that kind of stuff. For me, it's, it's, it, that, that's what ignites me. That's what lights me up. You've got to find the thing that lights you up in that way and show up with it over and over and over again because consistency is showing up in the right direction over and over and over again. And this is where the whole thing ends. Anna comes up to them right now. This is the moment of Joseph and Mary and Jesus and Simeon. And she says, coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Israel. So what happens is she comes up to them. She joins in the prayers. She joins in the blessing. And then she leaves the temple and she goes and she starts telling everyone about Jesus. Why? Because she's been waiting for him her whole life. What have you been waiting for? Jesus is everything. He's everything that you have been waiting for. If you're not a Christian, you don't need to wait anymore. You can choose him because he's your great hope. He is the fulfillment of all of your deepest desires. And here, what she did was she simply said, I'm going to go tell everyone about it. Why? Because when you find something you love, you cannot hold it in. When I met my wife, Kelly, I didn't go. I came back from college. We, we hung out a whole summer before he, before he got married and uh, got back to school. And the guy said, how was your summer? I said, met the girl I'm going to marry. And, and that's just what I told my friends. And they were like, no, you didn't. I'm like, I did. And I told them all about her. Why? Because when you love someone, you don't keep it in here. You tell the whole world about him. And that's exactly what she did. And it, it finishes like this. When Joseph and Mary had done everything required by the Mosaic law, they returned to Galilee to their own hometown. So they just went back home after all these extraordinary things. What did they do? They went back home. And the child grew and became strong. Jesus grew and became strong. He was filled with wisdom and the grace of God was on him. How fascinating that Jesus had to grow. 
and he had to be wise. Jesus was the perfect three-year-old, the perfect four-year-old, the perfect five-year-old, the perfect 10-year-old, the perfect 11, it had to be annoying, the perfect 12-year-old. Like, just like, you know, I mean, like, she could never be like, Jesus Christ, come over here. You know, like, that was like, that's not, that's not a, that, was, that was not a thing. That was not a thing. So, so he just was perfect all along the way. But you know what it was? Even Jesus started small. And he had to become the person. He was the person because he was God. But in his humanity, he had to grow. And he became exactly the person that 30 years later. What did Joseph do? He showed up every single day, day after day after day. And all he did was apprentice to his father or his stepfather. And he became a carpenter like him. And he nailed and he did wood and he nailed and did wood and just, just did that his whole life. Until 30 years later, the father says, you've humbled yourself and now I'm putting on you the great mantle. And for three years, you'll preach and then you'll die on a cross. And that's exactly the arc of Jesus's life. It's the arc of all of our lives. We're gonna labor in obscurity sometimes until God looks down and he says, hey, in the fullness of time, I'm ready. Are you ready? Do you have the character on the inside that you need to be able to take your next step toward Christ? If not, show up tomorrow and just do the next right thing. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, we come to you right now with hearts that are so grateful that we have examples in the Bible of strong men and women who lead and who follow through humility. Lord, thank you that you call small people like us to do extraordinary things. Lord, it's in your time that all things come true and all things are fulfilled. And so we just ask right now, Lord, that in the time that we have to wait, that we would be patient because we know you always fulfill your promises. It's in your name we pray, amen.